Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Wednesday, July 20th. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson with you. John Hicks behind the controls, the technical producer of the show. And uh, we have had Wednesday, July 20th circled on our calendars for a long time. Yeah. And we've already been here in the studio for a long time, even though it's just 8.30 Mountain Time, 10.30 Eastern. Today, a huge day for us as we have officially released our first episode of our new podcast, Seriously. Yes. Hosted by Sapria Devetti and myself. How are you feeling about it, pal? It's going to be hitting the podcast platforms in the next couple of hours. You feel like you you kind of like got over the hump. You feeling pretty good about the whole process? Yeah, you got the you get the first show jitters. You've also got, you know, does everything working right? So there's extra editing and post, but that's a great thing about this. It's not live, so it's going to sound it's going to be gangbusters. <laughs> it's going to be. We're really excited about it. It's it's basically for those of you that haven't heard about it. And yes, you're like, is he plugging? Is is he going straight to a plug, a pitch? Of course, we right are. out of the gates on the show today. Yeah, you bet your ass we are at seriouslypod.com. You can learn more about it. We'll help you make sense of the week's news and with the the uh, assistance, the guidance, the insight of the uh, amazing Sapria Devetti. We're going to take a look at the top national news stories. A lot of them will be federal political stories, but national news stories, and we'll cut through the noise. So we'll help it make sense. What does it mean for you, as we say on the soccer sidelines or around the family dinner table or when you're having beers or coffees with your friends? What do you need to know about the stories? How do they impact and affect you? So to find out what those stories are, where we launch off in episode one, all you need to do is search for Seriously, Supriya and Ryan anywhere you download your podcast. You'll be able to find it on YouTube. And again, of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All of the details at SeriouslyPod.com. So that'll be out in the next couple of hours. If you're listening to the podcast here on Real Talk, like most of you do, well, then Seriously, we'll be out by the time you hear this. And so we're really excited about it. And that'll be every Wednesday, a half hour for you. So while you're walking the dog, while you're on your morning or afternoon commute, whatever it is, a half hour for you, bite-sized chunk every Wednesday. That's seriously at seriouslypod.com. We've got a great show in store today. I'm very much looking forward to a conversation with the Grand Chief of the Confederacy of Treaty 6 First Nations. The Grand Chief George Arcon Jr. is going to join us. He's the Chief of Alexander First Nation as well. He was the CEO of Fort Mackay First Nation uh, back in the day. He's got a ton of experience in dealing with communities and the role of Grand Chief is an interesting one. Uh, when he joins us, we'll get into it. The, the description is is essentially uh, to, to, to act or to speak with a single voice on political matters when it comes to that confederacy. So you're representing a lot of people. The context of this, obviously, the approaching papal visit. Pope Francis is on his way to Canada. He's going to visit Quebec. He's going to visit Alberta. He's going to visit uh, different jurisdictions where residential school survivors uh, have called that territory home for time immemorial, and he'll be delivering an apology on behalf of the Catholic Church. I thought this was really interesting. I did a little bit of of reading into these papal apologies. I'm not a, a practicing i'm not a catholic period but i'm certainly not a practicing catholic and i didn't understand uh, one of the things the nuanced details that i learned yesterday in reading about it uh, johnny it's interesting it's not just an apology from the church yeah. it's also an apology 
to the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it serves two purposes. And I thought that there was an interesting perspective. The reason I bring that up is that yesterday we had a really interesting conversation. We've been looking uh, to speak. We want to be speaking with uh, voices that, that really, like, for example, Chief Tony Alexis that joined us yesterday. These are voices of people that have have walked miles as either survivors of residential schools, intergenerational survivors of residential schools, or people that are advocating uh, for the thousands of people, many of them now in the advanced stages of their life, that were at these facilities, at these institutions. And Chief Tony Alexis, uh, yesterday, if you missed that interview, you have to check it out. You can find it in our podcast archive. Obviously, you can find it on YouTube, too. Talks about how this is a healing opportunity. He says, not just for indigenous people, but for the church as well. He says that there's Mm -hmm. work to be done on both of those sides. And he's talked a lot about bridge building yesterday. So we'll pick up on that in our conversation with with Grand Chief uh, coming up in just a moment. And then Brandy Morin's going to be joining us. She's a great friend of this show. And uh, she has just announced this morning she's just been awarded. This is an award of great distinction uh, from the Native American Journalists Association. I don't want to talk about it too much because I'd rather just talk about it to her face. But this is really exciting stuff for Brandy. Uh, Some work that she's done, some reporting that she's done. You've heard her here on the show many times. Her work, as I tweeted yesterday, has taken her across the country. Uh, she was just in Wet'suwet'en. We'll get her caught up on that and 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 pick her brain on what where that story has gone. It's probably fallen off a lot of people's radar, right? Th- these stories where we saw indigenous people um, and 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 those you know the so-called land defenders, even non-indigenous people uh, in in Wet'suwet'en, in Ferry Creek, different stories, different jurisdictions, but still, it's it's uh, people that are fighting against some of the logging expansion, some of the pipeline expansion, the LNG pipelines, other pipelines. Brandy's been covering those stories she's also been talking to survivors and brandy's also been out at the vatican remember she was vatican city reporting on the pope's apology back in april she joined us april 7th and so she's been doing a ton of work on the storytelling front as an independent or freelance journalist for a number of different outlets which makes her situation somewhat unique She's also got a book coming out, which we're going to be talking about, Our Voice of Fire. And it's a very personal exercise for her as a survivor of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, issue across Canada. This is a major issue, and she's using her platform, her powers of storytelling to get to that. Brandy's going to be joining us uh, live from Toronto coming up in about a half hour's time on the show. We'll also take you out to the mountains, of course, as we do every single Wednesday uh, with my Jasper memories. And we'll be taking a look at some of the other stories that are making news right now as well. Uh, That includes an explosive report from Joshua Clipperton. Uh, It was reported uh, on behalf of the Canadian press. That means a whole bunch of papers were pushing it out yesterday. And I'm sure you've seen it, uh, especially if you have kids that are playing hockey, if you're a hockey fan yourself. I'm not talking about Matthew Kachuk probably getting traded by the Calgary Flames today or tomorrow or the next little while as that franchise continues to struggle. This has nothing to do with the fan interest stuff. This has nothing to do with player movement or free agency. This is an explosive and damning report that Hockey Canada had an abuse claim reserve fund this according to court documents it was an affidavit that was filed in an ontario court a case that suggests that hockey canada has maintained a fund when you talk about hockey canada we're talking world under 18s 
World Juniors, like the U-20s, Team Canada and the Olympic Games. This is an institution in Canada. That is Hockey Canada. How many of you have the jerseys with the maple leaf and the skater cutting through it? I know I have five or six of them myself. A fund to pay for uninsured liabilities, including sexual abuse claims. This affidavit, Hockey Canada maintains a reserve in a segregated account to pay for any such uninsured liabilities as they arise. Uninsured liabilities include potential claims for historical sexual abuse. Now, the sports national body, Hockey Canada, has been under intense scrutiny, obviously, since news of an alleged sexual assault following a 2018 gala in London, Ontario, involving eight unidentified players, including members of that year's world junior team, many of them who their speculation are probably playing in the NHL right now. The odds are pretty good. If you take a look at that roster from 2018 and then a subsequent settlement, that news broke in May. None of those allegations have been proven in court. One of the very interesting developments with this story is that some of those players on that world junior team from just about four years ago are coming forward now. They're saying, I'm not one of the eight. There's players that are coming forward individually that have nothing to do with that story, let alone that settlement that want to clear their names. And so now the interesting thing by process of elimination, more and more people are getting an idea of who those players might be. What matters most in all of this is, of course, what it means around hockey culture, the protection of people that are involved in some of these stories, including these allegations, and obviously what this means for the hundreds of thousands or millions of young hockey players, boys and girls across the country, that are now looking at this, that would dream, that would aspire to play, wearing that maple leaf. What does this do to your opinion of Hockey Canada, to the sports governing body, and quite frankly, the harsh reality of how organizations like this often operate? I suspect we're going to get some trash talk emails on this to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I suspect that many of you are going to have very strong opinions on this and how this makes you feel as a Canadian, as a hockey fan, as somebody whose kids may play the sport, as somebody who may have played the sport themselves. Obviously, obviously, this is a big story, and this is far from the end of it. This is brutal. I mean, it's not bad that a big, every big company has a fund to defend themselves legally, but the fact that I think the biggest part of this was that they were using some of the registration fees that people pay uh, to pad this fund. That's just, it's a really bad look. Really, really bad. Yeah. It is. So we're going to obviously follow that story as it continues to develop. We also wanted to remind you that, of course, uh, we're looking for your emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And every single month we give away the Real Talk. We award the Real Talk email of the month where we give away for free an official Real Talk studio mug. We mail it right to you if you're the winner of the email of the month club. Grand Chief is going to join us uh, in just a moment, George Arcan Jr., and, and, and we're looking forward to that. But before we do, because there's a bit of a tie-in here, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a, uh, a, a viewer that's, that's chimed in from Saskatchewan here, and we're really excited about this. Uh, they said uh, that they wanted to talk to us about their journey out to the mountains, but before they did, they took our advice because they started. Uh, I'm talking about Rod and Leanne and Abigail and Kennedy. Mm. Uh, they're coming in from Saskatchewan and they're heading west. They're on their way out to Jasper, so they're super excited. And they took our advice, which I appreciate. Our advice was to make sure that they didn't drive by the Friesen brothers in Hinton. 
in Hinton, the gateway to the Rockies. And so before we take you out to the mountains, we want to take you to Hinton. All right. Mm. And so this is what they reported to us. And we really appreciate this. So so they they arrive in in Hinton like they were. <laughs> so so they were pretty excited about what was coming up at Friesen Brothers because we had talked about like the beef short ribs and the uh, sourdough cinnamon buns and, and, and everything. You know, I mean, people were really excited to get there because, it you know, it's so special. And so they make their way through the store and, and Abigail and Kennedy are allowed to pick whatever they want. Right. And, and they're going to pack the fridge. They got the fifth wheel they're pulling it out i'm so happy to see that they didn't make their way past those cinnamon buns have you had a chance to try the sourdough cinnamon buns dairy tell me all about it. oh dairy <laughs> i can't believe i thought of it. what's the vegan alternative there uh there's lots of vegan options there incredible you know we always hit up the veggies and fruit there's just incredible veggies and fruit you won't find anywhere else i don't want to say exotic but just Things that you wouldn't find at normal grocery stores. And the plant-based section is right after that. Uh, the freezers, the fridges, uh, the plant-based meats. You know, I can still have that big manwich at home. <laughs> and not, uh, and not uh, have to miss that. I love having a big uh, manwich at home. But with the plant-based meats. And we just love it. Uh, there's amazing lasagnas. You throw them in the oven for like 15 minutes. Just an incredible selection there. We love Freezing Bros. We're officially... We're officially changed over now. Yeah, Reason you officially Bros made the switch. Now the official grocer of uh, uh, the Hicks family. <laughs> of the Hicks family, I love it. <laughs> and so there you. So this is so this is a great start to the vacation, and uh, and we wanted to set the scene there. So we're happy to see it, Rod and Leah. I also want to remind you that Athabasca University is Canada's online university. This is the world class accredited online programs and courses at AU offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. This could be the perfect time for you to sign up at Athabasca U. Well, why? Why right now? Let me tell you, because right now you can study anytime. You can study anywhere. And so a lot of the hurdles that might be popping up in your way with regards to, well, it's summer and I've got a vacation coming up in a couple of weeks, or it's sunny, I want to hit the patio today, or something came up I wasn't expecting and I'm not able to write that exam or to submit that paper, it doesn't matter. You're in charge of your schedule, so you will not miss an exam. You won't be studying on your vacation. Athabasca University's age demographic is a little bit older and it brings years of work experience to their schooling. It is never too late to go to school or even head back to school and finish that degree program. I have a feeling that today somebody is going to have this. They're going to feel this resonate with them and visit AthabascaU.ca. You can learn more about the sign up, the admissions process, and then, of course, all of those programs and courses they offer. Just an absolute ton of them. The search uh, tool is fantastic on that website. Well, if you've even been remotely paying attention to the news cycle across the country, you know that uh, many indigenous communities, many First Nations are preparing uh, to welcome Pope Francis. Some of them will even see the Pope visit their specific community, including a pilgrimage to Lac St. Anne. We talked to Chief Tony Alexis yesterday, and a big part of this is going to be the apology for the church's role in Canada's residential schools. Chief George Arcan Jr. is the Grand Chief of the Confederacy of Treaty 6 First Nations and the Chief of Alexander First Nation. 
As mentioned, he was the CEO of Fort Mackay First Nation. That's where he engaged with industry leaders and, and helped the community really take hold of economic opportunities. His fondest memory, his mosum, his grandfather, taking him to visit with elders. That's where he first learned community, tradition, the understanding of treaty, and what it means to be a leader. We're pleased to welcome Grand Chief George Arcon Jr. to the program. Thank you for making time for us, and a good morning to you. Good morning to you. Grand Chief, how are you preparing personally for the Pope's visit? I understand you'll be meeting with him one-on-one. How are you preparing for that? I guess for me, I continue to draw on my mother's uh, thoughts and, and my mother's uh, commitment to the, to the church and my mother's sorrow for the things that happen in residential schools. So it's um, it, it's a little bit of a, a situation where I want to make sure that our survivors and people like my mother uh, uh, hear an apology and um, that communities have the feeling that the Catholic Church is um, on the right path. And so my job, I think, is to make sure that that we're getting on that right path. And I hope that uh, I can do justice to uh, my mother who passed a few years ago. So you're thinking of her as you as you prepare for this. Understandably, we were speaking earlier before you joined us about your role, which is a very unique one. And I would imagine a very challenging one as Grand Chief. Uh, when you were elected, you, you, you were essentially charged, right? With the, You were tasked with uh, providing uh, the Confederacy with a single voice, uh, in particular on political matters. Is it possible to speak with a single voice on matters of reconciliation, especially considering the stories of, of survivors? How are, how are you managing that responsibility in this context? The challenge, of course, is that we still have many survivors that are still alive today. And um, it's important to understand that our survivors right now are of a golden age and, and, and tend to be uh, our elders in our communities. So not only are we seeking advice uh, from them, but we're also having to deal with uh, some of the mental stress and, and the mental uh, challenges that they have have as community members and the things they uh, suffered through residential school. So it's really tough to have one voice, but I believe that our chiefs in Treaty 6 are committed to the idea that this event is for the survivors and anything we can do to make this event a positive uh, event uh, for the survivors that's the direction we will take. Hmm. Is there anything that, that you hope specifically that you'll be able to share with the Pope in person? I, I hope uh, that I'm going to be able to share um, with the Pope the idea that we only see this as a first step. And that the apology is is a way for us to begin on the healing that's necessary. And if the Catholic Church wants to continue to be part of how we shape uh, the future, uh, then then I think the Catholic Church needs to understand that it's uh, it's a first step, and it's a first step in hopefully the right direction. And we think that uh, having the Pope come and do the apology in Alberta, where there is the most residential schools, 
uh, make sense. And of course, we therefore have the most survivors. And I hope that uh, the Pope understands that uh, it's not going to be, you know, uh, I apologize and I'll see you all again later. It, it's really, if you're going to come down this road with us, we will go down this road, but it's got to be in some joint effort. Mm. As you speak with with other chiefs and, and survivors and community members, your family members, uh, people around you, people whose opinions and insights and experiences matter to you. Do you have a sense already of what steps two and three and four and five might look like if, if there is a perceived willingness or a stated willingness from the church to, to walk forward together in, in reconciliation? Or is this more a matter of this is a big first step, we need to take that first step and then begin this journey together? Have you plotted out a map, so to speak? Uh, yeah, yes, uh, we, we have. Uh, we have certainly have had uh, long discussions with uh, the government of Canada, and the government of Canada has assisted with uh, setting up a particular uh, a section of their uh, services right now dealing with Indian residential schools. I, I think uh, the, the situation is that uh, we need to first begin by hearing and understanding that uh, there is going to be an apology and hear the apology so that people can begin to forgive uh, before we go down the path of healing. I, I, I do not believe that people can heal without first uh, um, reconciling some of the differences uh, that, that people have. I know my mother um, talked openly about, I, I really just want to get past this. I, I really just want to be able to say, okay, I can move ahead and not carry all those things um, with her. It, it is really unfortunate that people had to carry the things that were, were done to them in residential schools for so many years. And, and we just allowed that to happen in, in all our communities. And, and you start to now deal with some of the fallout that that has created. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, let me, let me credit. So there, there are things that happen behind the scenes. And I think that there are people, including those that work for the Confederacy of Treaty Six First Nations that have really done a remarkable job, an impressive job of working with journalists that are covering this papal pilgrimage, this apology, um, to, to bring people, especially journalists and storytellers up to speed on things like trauma informed reporting. And there's a lot to consider including the impact that these discussions, even these images, are going to have on many survivors. How have you approached that? What's your message to residential school survivors that over the next week or so will no doubt be on an emotional, mental, and perhaps spiritual journey? And, and what sort of supports are in place for survivors? So early, early on, we, we suspected uh, that we'd have to gather as much of the... Uh, uh, professional and technical support that would be required because we we know there will be a, uh, an opportunity for residential school uh, survivors to start to uh, understand where they've come from understand their lives and really start to uh, consider forgiving and part of that forgiving is going to be releasing a lot of uh, things that they've held in in their hearts and minds for many, many years. 
So we knew it was important that we all support services uh, that that we could gather in Western Canada. And and so as soon as we understood that the Pope may come, we started working with Health Canada and the Alberta government, pulling together as many uh, support service workers as possible for all the sites, for all the communities, and for all of the uh, um, online activities that might happen through, through the, uh, the events. And then afterwards, we know there's going to be continual uh, requirement for support. So I don't know if we've been able to gather enough support workers, uh, but I, I believe that we are at least going to make sure that uh, the communities are armed uh, with with the necessary support services and the surge uh, support that's required. Can will we will we have enough? I I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough challenge because uh, there's only so many of these people in Western Canada, and of course uh, he's also going to the north and going to Quebec, so they're also doing the same thing. So um, we hope that we can muster up enough uh, surge and, and capacity uh, to help the communities. But uh, this is going to be our challenge from starting the day of and probably um, a few weeks or months after. So yeah, probably at least, right? Working. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you think about it, I mean, the impact of the visit, um, let me, let me ask you a, a side question for a second. Are you, are you concerned that there's, I mean, when, when the Pope arrives, um, you know, I mean, we, we talk about uh, Chief Alexis. I spoke with him yesterday and, and he used the word famous and it, it's it's an appropriate word to use. He said he says the Pope is one of the most famous people on planet Earth. We were musing after the fact, like who's more famous, so to speak, recognizable yeah. might be a more preferred word. But who's more recognizable on planet Earth than the Pope? Probably nobody. Maybe Justin Bieber. That's about it. Uh, and so 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 it's obviously drawing a lot of attention. And there's going to be a lot of non-Indigenous people that are very motivated to see the Pope, very motivated to be, you know, to try to sort of reach out to get the photos to participate. Are you concerned that it's there's the potential to overshadow the main reason, the driving force behind the visit? Do you have that concern? For sure. For sure. I think um, there's always been uh, the idea that Commonwealth would hopefully uh, allow a little bit of that uh, a fusion to to uh, be released. Uh, so the event at Commonwealth was planned, where people who have that uh, commitment to to be part of that process uh, could be. But I I believe that um, our ability to ensure that the survivors are front and center in um, Erminskin and in Lac Saint Anne, I think, uh, allows us to feel more comfortable uh, that we're going to ensure that survivors uh, will be at the very front of the line uh, to meet and 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 not hear the Pope uh, and be part of the event. So, I think uh, there's room for uh, survivors, families, for other people to be part of the activity. Uh, but at the end of the day, people also need to understand you need tickets for all these events. You can't you can't just get up Monday morning and, and drive out to Ermanskin or Lac Saint Anne or Commonwealth. You need tickets. You need you need to get certain uh, 
logistical challenges fixed because there's no parking. Uh, people are going to have to be bused in. So there's a little bit work need, people need to do to be part of it, including uh, making sure they contact their regional uh, Aboriginal organizations like uh, MNC, AFN, ITK, and so forth, who have regional people all across Canada uh, working uh, to ensure that people have access. But I think um, there will be potentially protesters. Um, there will be people who are not happy. Uh, but we believe that we've been able to uh, garner enough support from all of these survivors uh, to ensure that uh, there's uh, people in the front who are survivors, and those are the people uh, we want to make sure they have the opportunity to be part of the events. Grand Chief, assuming that there are protesters, um, and, and I think it's it's safe for us to say that not everybody supports the visit, not everybody is is prepared to roll out the red carpet for the head of the church that perpetrated these horrific crimes against children, Indigenous children, for decades— there are people that will never forgive. There are people that have no interest in the apology. What would be your message to them today? We, we see the Pope's visit to Alberta and an apology as a first step. Uh, we, do not, we do not see this as a, uh, an opportunity for the church to absolve themselves from what has happened. Uh, we see this as a way to uh, begin the healing journey and part of reconciliation that we all we all are trying to grasp and talk about. I, I believe that uh, the path we need to create is going to have to be a joint one between Canada, uh, the church, and ourselves to begin fixing these things. And uh, if we don't begin the path and building the new road, uh, we'll never we'll never start. So we we see this as a good beginning. Hmm. Uh, Grand Chief, I'm uh, really appreciative of your time. I know that in these days leading up to the visit, there, there's a lot of people that are trying to talk to you. There's a lot of people uh, trying to pick your brain on this and, and looking for insights into the planning. Is there anything I haven't asked you about? Is there any important message you want to make sure people hear before we thank you for your time? I, I want to say that uh, it's really, really important for uh people to understand that um, there's a lot of resources that are being put out to make sure that the Pope's visit is, is being uh, seen as, as a um, almost a state visit. And, and uh, I think uh, people need to understand that there's uh, some issues we're dealing with. Uh, one of them is the age of our survivors, but also the age of uh, the Pope himself. So things like making sure there's proper roads into where he needs to address people, uh, making sure there's uh, appropriate resources there, whether it's water, whether it's support workers, washrooms, all those kind of things are all part of a big event like this because most of it's being held outside, except for the Commonwealth uh, activity, which I guess is outside, but still within a, a defined area. So I... I think um, people need to just have some patience uh, with us and, and the people that are working, each of the committees that are working on the coordination. And I hope that uh, people understand that we, we don't think this is um, going to be it 
and today after the pope makes the apology everything is going to be okay mm. i think it's an opportunity for us to all begin to figure out how we begin our healing and how we begin to ensure uh, we hold people responsible and accountable as part of helping us with our healing journey can i ask you one closing question um as as mentioned i mean a lot of what you do is is involves politics. Uh, we received, I read a letter just a couple of days ago from a, an audience member by the name of Shane. Um, he didn't identify himself in the email as indigenous nor as a first responder, but his perspective sure sounded like someone who has a lot of experience in first response in indigenous communities. And he was almost incensed that many of the, the roads you know, some of these secondary highways that emergency vehicles and, and, and private citizens have traveled uh, for many years in such a state of disrepair. In, in his words, you know, not even safe for emergency vehicles to be on these roads responding to emergencies in indigenous communities. He says all it took was a visit from an old white Catholic man to get these roads improved. Um, he's pretty pissed off about it, quite frankly, and his message resonated with a bunch of audience members. Uh, now, of course, whether it's the Pope's visit to indigenous communities or, or the Olympics touching down in Vancouver or Calgary, maybe I don't want to make the comparison, but a lot of times people will welcome infrastructure improvements with open arms regardless of the context. But do you have mixed feelings about that? Where, where do you land on, the, on that email from Shane? I know you haven't read the whole thing, but the spirit of it. So, so I believe um, we, we all... Uh, need to do a better job in ensuring that infrastructure in uh, particularly Canada and in First Nation lands are, are are being upgraded. And especially in Alberta, where we pride ourselves in, in investing in the infrastructure that we presently have. But I, I believe that uh, while this should have been done years ago and, and probably should have been done over uh, periods of time, uh, we still as a community welcome uh, the idea that we will get some new infrastructure, whether it's a new road, whether it's an upgrade on a water system, whether it's uh, a new particular facility for people to uh, uh, to go out and, and honor and respect our, our uh, residential school survivors. But I, at the end of the day, um, I, I believe that we all have a commitment to show as Canadians and as Albertans um, that we respect and, and want to ensure when people come to visit us that we treat them as best we can. So I'm, I'm assuming like the Olympics, like everything else, um, resources are, are get put into communities and cities and, and provincial governments when they host these events. Um, I, I believe Canada is trying hard to ensure that First Nations are being given some of that opportunity to get uh, the resources they need has it hit the mark I, I don't think so should have we done this a long time ago for sure uh, but at at the end of the day uh, the pope uh, carries a a, a different a, a different uh, piece of, of of how the world um, is fabricated and works and uh, I think we're, we're trying to just honor and respect that. Grand Chief George Arcan Jr., the uh, Grand Chief of the Confederacy of Treaty 6 First Nations, also the Chief of Alexander First Nation. It's great to see your face again, and, and thanks for doing this interview. Thank you very much, and 
uh, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, you bet. Always look forward to an opportunity to speak with uh, Grand Chief Arkan Jr. Uh, Brandy Morin will be joining us in just a moment. I do want to remind you, we say it all the time because we mean it. We want to hear from you. If you're a survivor, an intergenerational survivor of a residential school, we want your voice to be included in our coverage and in our conversations over the next number of days. These conversations happen because of the support of partners of Real Talk, uh, like local environmental services. You know, some people will say that it's, uh, it's garbage, it's recycling. It's not just garbage to them. Operating in many different communities, including rural communities across Alberta and Saskatchewan, this family-owned business believes that communities deserve better. Better service, better prices, more support for local causes. Let local environmentals show you how they can help with front-loader roll-off bins, residential or commercial, industrial waste and recycling collection. John, as a matter of fact, I was just out golfing, swinging the sticks yesterday at the Ranch Golf and Country Club where we played our tournament back in June. While I was out there, through rolls, the local environmental truck doing the pickup there at the golf course. I always love to see our partners working together. Did you try and ding it? Uh, no, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I was just teeing off on uh, well, one of my favorite. You know, you know that road right there where they had the uh, St. Albert Dodge Jeep parked mm. there to win that par three there. They had the Friesen Brothers grill there. That's where they were rolling through to pick up their uh, to empty those bins. And so I gave the guy a little wave. I'm not sure he knew the connection, but I was happy to see it. Portable toilets, fencing, vacuum trucks, water hauling. They do it all at localenvironmental.ca. Hey, speaking of St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, this is a great time to remind you that whether you're you're looking to upgrade, you know, upsize your ride. Maybe you got a new family trailer you're going to pull. Maybe there's a new addition to the family that requires a second row of seats or a third row of seats for that matter. Or maybe you're taking a look at the price of gas and you're realizing that now is the time to downsize. They've got you covered at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They value your trade. The pre-owned market is hot right now. You can click on the link on their website, either stalbertdodge.com, sherwooddodge.com. Check out what your current vehicle would get you in a trade. They're going to look after you. And then, of course, you can shop online or in person with the preferred dealers of Real Talk at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. Their crews, I mean, this is the busiest time of year for them, obviously, capitalizing on this fabulous weather as they bring outdoor spaces to life. Some of the stuff they're doing is a little more glamorous, right? They've got the water features and the outdoor kitchens, the stunning stonework, that beautiful stuff. And then some of it's just a little more gritty. The infrastructure that a lot of people need, drainage, excavation, retaining walls, repairs, they do it from start to finish. They don't stop till you're happy. You can get in touch with them today. Check out their portfolio. Ask for Mike at Eden Landscaping. Tell them Real Talk sent you. You can find him at landscapeedmonton.ca. It's been a huge 24 hours or so for our next guest. She's a dear friend of the show. She's an award-winning journalist, and she's just added another honor to her mantle just hours ago. Brandy Morin is an award-winning French Cree Iroquois journalist from Treaty 6, one of North America's easily most prominent voices on Indigenous issues. Uh, she's influenced reconciliation in Canada's political and social environments. You've read her work quite likely in the New York Times, The Guardian, The Toronto Star, National Geographic, Al Jazeera English, which was the story that just won big. Vice, you've seen her on Power and Politics, APTN, and, of course, she's an 
editorial board member here at Real Talk. We're honored to call Brandy Morin a friend. Congratulations, my friend. It was just announced hours ago. You're the winner of the Native American Journalists Association Best Feature Story Award for for a story you put out there in Al Jazeera English. This was a tough story to tell, and I'm going to ask you to talk to us about it. But first off, Best Feature Story uh, elevated amongst all your peers across the country. What does it mean to you? It's amazing. I mean, because it's coming from my own community, right? So it's the Native American Association of Journalists, which covers the whole of Turtle Island, which is basically Native, you know, uh, North America. So to be recognized by them is a really huge deal. I'm still like processing it. And they're having an award ceremony in Arizona at the end of August. And I'm going to do my best to get down there and to, you know, rub shoulders with some of the best of the best (laughs) in this industry. Well, I was I was was talking about you earlier in the show uh, just before we spoke to Grand Chief about how you have been kind enough to share your perspectives with us. And it's not lost on me, Brandy, that you've talked to us about survivor stories with regards to residential schools, people you've spoken with across the prairies. Uh, you were just out uh, speaking to the Wet'suwet'en people. I mean, this this controversy on the West Coast, pipelines and logging and, and the expansion of industry out there. You've covered that. You've spoken to us about your work from Vatican City, reporting on the papal apology. You've told a lot of stories. This one in particular, this award-winning story, Canada's Crying Shame, The Fields Full of Children's Bones. It was published for Al Jazeera English. As the subheadline reads, Indigenous survivors of Canada's residential schools tell the stories of those who never made it out. What was it that in particular you think resonated with this story when it came to those journalism awards? You know, I have been telling the stories of residential school survivors for years and uh, the attention uh, towards the Indigenous community. Um, you know, the, the, the world was looking at the Canada's residential schools when the graves of our children were uh, first uncovered uh, in the spring of 2021. So I think this particular piece kind of encapsulated, uh, you know, a lot of that. So I traveled to Saskatchewan to the formal Maryville Indian Residential School where they had found, I mean, I think uh, nearly a thousand more uh bodies of you know children and I spoke with a survivor named Barry there who you know was forced to dig a grave uh, for a fellow student who had died there and I traveled uh, to Calgary to another survivor of that school um, and and spoke with a woman there who witnessed her cousin die in the bed next to her and they recounted these horrifying stories of what they lived through, of living through really these concentration camps for children. And, you know, um, I think, you know, the way that I go about my storytelling is I really uh, like to uh, intimately do that and humanize, you know, the, the people, the characters. And I really think that that resonates and it really makes real to people that there are people that experience these evils, that experience these atrocities. And it's mind blowing, you know, that these that this has happened in our lifetime, that this has happened in a so-called, you know, um, human rights democracy you know you know a country that upholds human rights right so you know i think that just the intimacy of it all um and where you know where canada was at 
you know, with the unveiling of this, these graves, I think, you know, that played a part in, in why this piece was chosen. Hmm. Uh, you know, we've had a, a chance to speak with uh, leaders, which I'm grateful for, including uh, Chief Alexis yesterday, Grand Chief Arkan today. And uh, you also have been speaking with survivors. And, and while leaders have the challenge of speaking as best they can on behalf of an entire community or communities, uh, you've had an opportunity to speak with individuals. I mean, who will ever forget the reporting that you did? I'm showing a video here right now that you tweeted from St. Peter's Square, Vatican City. This is, uh, among others, uh, Dr. Wilton Littlechild dancing. I think it was his 78th birthday, you said, uh, almost 80 years of age outside the Vatican, uh, marking or commemorating the Pope's apology, describing that as as a day of major significance. Uh, of course, you've spoken to, to many, many people uh, about not just the residential schools themselves, but also what reconciliation and what a papal apology would mean. How are you approaching the Pope's visit? How are you wrapping your mind around it? Whose voices are you hearing? Who's, whose testimony is resonating between your ears? You know, I'm preparing for an insane you know, week next week. I just learned that I'm also going to be traveling uh, to Quebec and Iqaluit uh, for the Pope's visits, uh, not only Treaty 6, Edmonton and area, but I have been speaking with survivors again ahead of the papal visits. And there are, you know, emotions across the board, emotions and opinions. So, you know, this one uh, elder from uh, Samson Cree Nation, which is a part of Muscatchis, uh, where the Pope will be visiting. He's visiting the former Ermanskin Residential School. Uh, the actual building is now demolished. It's just this open field now, and they've placed a teepee there, and the Pope will be going there. It's the only First Nation community that the Pope will actually be uh, going to while in Canada. And I spoke with a survivor of that school, Flora Northwest, and she told me when she first learned that the Pope was coming to Muscatish, like she couldn't believe it. Uh, when she first learned of the apology, she had to take it in many times. She played back that apology in English many, many times. She told me that she broke down crying. And um, although she does have the mixed feelings, she is going there to hear it in person. She's taking her children and her grandchildren. And what she told me is she hopes that the Pope will take further action. And one of her dreams is that he will rescind the doctrine of discovery that was brought into place in the 1400s um, by a former pope, which basically made it, which basically made it okay for uh, you know, European colonizers to come and stake claim to the lands. So anywhere where there was people that weren't Christians that inhabited a land, it was basically free, ran, free reign. And so it gave way to the violence and the genocide of our people. And that doctrine still stands today. So she's hoping that he will rescind that. Whereas I've spoke with other survivors from Musquatchies or, you know, Saskatchewan, or even as far as way as, as Ontario, they want nothing to do with the Pope's visit. They feel indifferent to it. They are still feeling the impacts and the effects um, of the residential school system, and they're just not ready. They're not ready to uh, welcome him. They're not ready to uh, be on that, you know, that path of walking together as the Catholic Church is naming this visit. And um, so, yeah, there, there are mixed 
mixed opinions, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Dr. Wilton Littlechild. He's from Musquachis. This is something he's literally advocated for years, like decades to happen. And now to see this full circle that the Pope is coming to his home community, yeah. it's going to be really something to witness in person. Because again, you know, uh, Wilton is almost 80 years old and the Pope's old. And this might be, Ryan, this might be the last, um, you know, trip that Pope Francis makes. He's mm. canceled. He's been canceling other trips. He's getting old. His health isn't the best lately. So we know that this is going to be very uh, significant and historic. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I just uh, Dr. Littlechild is a legend um, and just an amazing human being, an advocate um, uh, the the work the work that he's put in and that many others have uh, you know I mean even just yesterday talking to Chief Alexis and and in his meeting with the Pope in 2016 and presenting him with a drum mm. and with letters from survivors and the invitation for the Pope to come and and now obviously that that means so much to him that 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 this visit is happening and then and Brandy I want to be clear like I'll I'll keep my comments here pretty limited because it's not my space to be in but I, I you know I asked Grand Chief about this just a few minutes before we spoke with you. I, I have no problem believing that there are a ton of survivors uh, for whom the image of a crucifix or the image of, of, of religious garb or the image of anything to do with Catholicism or faith or the church um, would, would, be, would have such a triggering impact in instances of, of horrific and sustained sexual assault, other physical abuse, that, that there, there would be no appetite or no room for any consideration of an apology. And, and I can recognize that too. And I, and I, you know, I mean, you're the storyteller. Maybe I guess I should put this in the form of a question as opposed to a statement, but I just think it's, it's so important. How are you finding that balance between reporting on the significance for, for, for people like these chiefs, grand chiefs, community members, survivors for whom a papal apology means the world and for others that have absolutely no desire to consider it. I mean, both viewpoints are obviously very valid. Yeah. So I am doing a piece for Al Jazeera English uh, coming up for people that really don't want anything to do with the Pope and for them to express, you know, ex express that. But for me, um, not everybody's going to like this, but it's the truth. I was out at Muscochise, you know, last week and I seen Alberta transportation paving the roads and they're only paving a certain area where the Pope specifically is going. And when you drive around the rest of the community, that community, like many First Nations community, I mean, the infrastructure is falling apart. There's um, deeply embedded uh, poverty. There's um, all sorts of ad adversity. The suicide rates are off the charts. There's struggles with addictions. There is violence. There's um, just, you know, and I, and I felt like, are they trying to make it look good for him? Is it? Are they trying to cover this up or make this facade? Because this are what's happening and continues to happen. These impacts are impacts of the colonial violence. They're impacts of the residential school system, which rip children and families apart. And our families are still reeling with those impacts, learning to be families again, learning to heal from um, being just violently assaulted in every way, sexually, physically, spiritually, verbally. And, you know, that's why there is um, just this, you know, uh, so much chaos. There is so much beauty in our culture. And so many of us are on, you know, this this healing journey. Right. But there there still is 
a lot of these after effects. And so that really bothers me that it just seems like, you know, there is this show being put on and will he really understand? Will he really know what those impacts are and like that they're still ongoing? Mm, Very well said. Brandy, I know that for you, as a journalist and a storyteller, these next number of months are going to be huge as uh, you prepare to tour and uh, sign what I'm sure will be thousands of copies of your brand new book, Our Voice of Fire, a memoir of a warrior rising. Um, I'm grateful that your publisher sent me an advanced digital copy, so I was able to check it out. Um, This is an intensely personal exercise for you. Uh, Portions of it. There you go. Look at that. (laughs) First of all, before we get into the questions, how does it feel to hold your book in your hands? It's amazing. Like it's surreal, right? So I had, I had advanced copies several months ago, but they were, they're different. They're different than the finished copy. So my publisher at House of Anansi just came and hand delivered these a couple of copies to me yesterday, even though I have an event with them next week, but she was so excited. And um, it's just really surreal. I mean, I'm blown away by the response. I'm blown away by the people that have been reading it and their feedback of telling me like how they couldn't put put it down and just the different like hype about it and the the, all the media that I'm doing and the fact that it's going to be in every major and, and independent bookstore across North America on August 2nd is like, even in the U S like it's, it's mind blowing. I'm going down. Um, I'm doing some events this week here in Toronto, by the way, I'll be at another story bookstore downtown Toronto tomorrow uh, at 7 PM, but I'll also be on uh, the social on CTV tomorrow, which is amazing. Yeah, you will. <laughs> but I'm going down to Santa Fe, New Mexico with, a, you know, with a, a huge organization called Illuminative uh, in August to do a big event. And I'm and, a, and I'm and I'm going to Los Angeles in the fall. And it's just it's unreal. But ultimately, I just I want the message of the book to get out there. So I, I share my personal story of a lot of the adversities that I've come through and being a survivor of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. But uh, it chronicles that and it, it chronicles how I became, you know, this journalist for justice and why I do the work that I do. And the message of it is hardcore, but the message of it also, I hope gives, you know, like hope and inspiration and gives a look into the lives of our people, specifically into, into the, you know, the lives of indigenous women and girls, because so often our women are seen, um, as you know undervalued or runaways or drunks when they when they become you know victims of this crisis of of being missing or going murdered and so i really wanted to you know to provide that look in for people and so um again it's mind-blowing it's a little bit scary you're putting yourself out there but i'm doing it with a purpose and i'm just really really grateful well, it's it's extremely powerful. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that's read your work before, that's heard you speak before. Um, you talk about, I mean, as uh, you know, I mean, the word survivor uh, is used, can I say, quite accurately, as if you needed mm. me to tell you that. Um, but I think that there's this sense in society now, people think that the you know word survivor is sort of thrown around flippantly. Um, when you say you're a survivor of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, you talk about your time in foster care. You talk about your time as a runaway. You talk about your experiences with predatory men. Uh, at what point in your life did you know that this book was just waiting to be written? At what point in your life were you ready to, to dig back into that and to find the words and to put them out there for public consumption? So when I ran away from a group home at age 12, 
and I was raped and held against my will by older men. After that incident, like I felt, as a lot of survivors feel, uh, they feel guilty. They feel like it felt like, you know, that it's their fault. And um, I, I kind of like just tucked it away for years and years. And I didn't revisit that until I was in my later 20s. And I actually experienced a mental breakdown. And it took a number of years of that kind of thing happening for me to understand that I needed to get the, to the root of that and to other traumas that I ex had experienced as a child in order to fully and completely heal. And so I was a journalist, uh, even at this time when I was going through that healing journey, and I still am going through that healing journey because it's a lifelong long process, but a former news director of mine, Karen Pugliese, who's just this um, you know, this powerhouse of a media, uh, you know, bureau in Canada, uh, she's a mentor to me now as well. She, over the last few years, she kept saying, like, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I just kind of always brushed it off. But then about a year and a half or so ago, I just, you know, it just kind of, you know, sank in that, okay, maybe I should write this book, maybe I'm ready, maybe I can help people. Um, and so I started writing and everything just kind of fell into place from there. So that's a, that's a little bit about how it came about. <laughs> well, it's incredible. And I do want to mention, obviously, Brandy, just for, for those that, that joined the show or that tune in from, from our home city of Edmonton, I also just want to mention for our relatively, let's call it our local audience that you're also going to be um, hosting uh, in partnership with the YWCA of Edmonton, yeah. uh, a book launch. Your first book launch in Western Canada is happening right here at Treaty six in Edmonton on August 2nd at six o'clock. And people can check out the details at our voice sapphire.eventbrite.ca uh, if they want to attend that. I know that it's going to be a great event. Before we let you go, Brandy, I know that obviously you're in Toronto right now. There's a whole bunch going on. You've just been named this award winner. I'm sure that somebody wants to take you out for lunch at the very least. Uh, but let me ask you about your your recent trip. You, uh, you, you were at Wissuitin, um reporting for Ricochet. People can read the story at ricochet.media. The, the headline, Follow Colonial Laws or Go to Jail. Uh, we haven't spoken about this story. It's it's fallen off the radar a little bit. Can you bring mm. us up to speed on what people need to know? Yeah, so I've been following this story for years. Um, so it's the Wet'suwet'en traditional people who are opposing the coastal gas link natural gas pipeline, um, liquefied natural gas uh, on their unceded territories. And uh, some of the land defenders there were just charged criminally. So there was a civil injunction that had been obtained by CGL uh, through the BC court systems um, that they were arrested for, you know, blockading the, the access to the construction site. But now the Crown has gone ahead and pressed criminal contempt charges against them. Now, what's significant about this is because it is their own territories. And this, uh, this is truly unceded Indigenous land. And it was, um, you know, they're, they're there is a, a Supreme Court of Canada court case called Dalgamuth uh, versus and Gestaway uh, that um, you know that proved that it's un unseated with Suetin and Gitsan territory. But uh, the details of that have never really been settled, and so these kind of projects are continuing to go forward against the um, consent of the traditional people of the Wet'suwet'en. And so they've been opposing it and now they're facing criminal charges. So this is a feature uh, specifically on Slato or Molly Wickham. She's a young mother of three 
three children. The youngest is two, and she was defending her territory up there. She was arrested uh, violently, uh, you know, uh, at uh, at gunpoint with attack dogs and sniper rifles last fall, and thrown in jail for almost a week, uh, along with. Um, over a dozen other land defenders and she's now facing these criminal charges and she lives out on the territory with her family in a cabin and they just want to use this land you know that their ancestors have used for millennia and protect it and so um, it's a story on that and how she feels but it's personal it's how she feels as a mother uh, and going through this and going against this colonial system that really is not their own because i think what a lot of people don't understand in canada is that indigenous nations are sovereign and this is the first nation that is sovereign it has its own laws it has its own you know, customs and, and these have never, you know, they may have been oppressed by the colonial system, but they've never been, I mean, it's something that they've always practiced, right? And so it's a very complex, uh, you know, situation, but for them, they really, you know, believe that they're fighting for their survival up there. Uh, I remember speaking with Slato, I think it was, I guess it was probably about a year ago here on the show and just a force of nature um and uh brandy we, we just i just want to reiterate our gratitude for the, the incredible storytelling that I, I i you know you're just the amount i mean we, even when you're telling us where you're going you know, you're going to go down to california and then you're going to go to new mexico and then you're going to go to quebec and you're being equality you, you don't even know the half of it Ryan. I, I, I know <laughs> i know like, i follow you on everybody should follow you on twitter and instagram i feel fucking lazy every time i see what you're doing <laughs> I'll tell you that much and i'm not lazy but yeah <laughs> anyway hey honestly when i saw the news this morning it was on your instagram that i saw your the the award that you won that storytelling best feature story from the native american journalist association i out loud just was yes like i just Aww. you deserve it and and again and i know you're you're you know you talk about your peers and the the incredible storytellers that are doing such important work um, telling these stories, but but you deserve to be recognized for it, Brandy, and I'm proud to call you a friend. We're thrilled to have you uh, serving on our editorial board. Have a blast in, in Toronto, yes. and then, of course, we'll look to your reporting on this papal visit over oh. the next week or so. Yes, it's going to be insane, and thank you, and it's an honor to be on your editorial board, especially because it's in my home territories, and I love the work that you're doing. So, hi, hi. You got it. That's Brandy Moore, and a great friend of this show. You can follow her on Twitter at Songsters28, and I, and I saw that some folks are asking about that event, uh, the one coming up in Edmonton, so we'll let you know again. You can just check out ourvoiceoffire.eventbrite.ca. Uh, it's being held at the YWCA's brand-new office on 124th Street, which is... About a five iron from here, if I hit it well. <laughs> okay. My friends might argue it's more of like a driver from here. Wow. Yeah, I didn't play great yesterday. <laughs> Out of the gates yesterday. And Eric Lindros on one and two, or a Patrick Kane, if you want to look at it that way. I took an eight on hole one. Mm -hmm. I took an eight on hole two. And then managed to pull the nose up, but it didn't matter. <laughs> the point of all of this is that the YWCA's new office is just a couple of blocks from our studio, and I know that that's going to be a big deal for people. To have a chance to meet Brandy in person, she can sign a copy of the book, and, and again, our huge congratulations to her. Let's get out to the mountains. What do you think? Every Wednesday, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have an opportunity to... We never ignore the news cycle. We can't. We want to be informed and engaged, but sometimes you just need a break, and you want to head outside and a big part of that is Jasper's legacy as a dark sky preserve. 
I feel like this is, I'll do my best with my words, but this is one you're going to want to watch on YouTube, uh, a time-lapse video. What you're seeing right now is that Jasper sky, including the northern lights. <laughs> this levitating movie magic will soon dazzle the Rockies for the second year in a row this October. So now's the time you want to think about it. Mark your calendar. The Jasper Dark Sky Festival will have a hypnotizing light show. Hundreds of choreographed drones moving in sync above the mountain town. What? The annual two-week Dark Sky Festival runs October 14th through the 23rd. will also draw a stellar lineup of space and science stars who will tackle the hottest topics of the day like space tourism and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. New to the festival this year and coming from around the planet, authors, astrophysicists, artists, Edmonton's own AI expert Patrick Pilarski will be there bringing his research on how bionic limbs can help amputees. Such a cool area of study. There will be indigenous events, a symphony under the stars with, of course, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, kid-friendly rocket launches. I think that'll get a bit of attention with the younger real talkers. And then live and interactive science demonstrations with the TELUS World of Science, stargazing using the most powerful telescopes in the Rockies, astrophotography, guided night hikes, foodie experiences, and more. Just check out jasperdarksky.travel. JasperDarkSky.travel is where you can learn more about the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. Now, I wanted to stretch this My Jasper memory a little bit longer because we got this amazing message from a real talker. Please, I'll take a nap. Can we get can we can we get into these Instagram photos? Yeah. How cool are these? Uh, We were telling you earlier today uh, about the family that was in touch with us and basically said, hey, listen, we've we've got our own uh, My Jasper memory, and we love these. We love when you're in touch with us to let us know exactly what your family's done to enjoy Jasper. And so this was courtesy of Leanne, and she let us know about their family's trip out, her husband Rod, and then Abigail and Kennedy, their kids from Saskatoon, said they were following a a road trip plan. Saskatoon to Stony Plain, to Jasper, to Salmon Arm, to Vernon, to Nelson, to Fernie, back to Saskatoon. What a loop. They said that Moline Lake boat tour to Spirit Island was absolutely awesome. She says we booked it after hearing about it on Real Talk and then viewing my wife Carrie Skelton's Instagram reel. She says it was just as beautiful. You can check out Leanne's My Jasper memory on her Instagram profile. I know she wouldn't mind. She's at Leanne... W-E-W-E-W-E-R. And uh, you can find it, of course, there. That Moline Lake Spirit Island boat trip. Have you ever gone on that? No, I haven't. Dude. What? It is. Take me. I should take you, you on You, me, this music? Come on. <laughs> Maybe we'll just bring <laughs> the light. What most people don't know is that the guitarist is actually sitting right beside me yeah. on a stool. Yeah. Birkenstocks. Mm-hmm. Hemp pants. We really should give him credit one day. We should. We should give him credit. (laughs) Anyway, Leanne, we love that you shared your photos with us. If you have a My Jasper memory, please do hashtag My Jasper and Real Talk RJ. And your family's adventure could be featured a Wednesday right here on Real Talk. Now, of course, I mentioned I was out golfing yesterday. And it was just such an absolutely beautiful day. Mm Mm-hmm. We enjoyed some sunshine, 
We were able to, to feel the sun hitting our face and our forearms in a way that it hadn't for quite some time. It felt like there was a lot of rain over the last while. It's been contributing to this mosquito-type situation in our neck of the woods. Oh, got a lot I've of people. seen you on Twitter. You're, 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 you're going off on I'm the not, skeeters. But I'm not going to use this opportunity to grind, okay. uh, to, to grind gears we'll or to grind an axe. So we can get into it another time. Okay. For context, those of you who listen across the country or outside of Canada, uh, in, in our neck of the woods, our, our city council made a decision to stop, to halt. So you are getting into it. <laughs> no, I'm just providing context. You brought it up. There's got to be context. Okay, so I'll get into it just for a minute. <laughs> I knew it. But here I'm going to credit the audience. I'm going to credit Real Talkers because the city council made a decision to, to, to stop some of their spraying programs, some of their mosquito spraying initiatives. And the mosquitoes seem to be worse this year. This is anecdotal. I don't have evidence of this. And so I just tweeted that I think that this program needs to be one and done. I think that they need to bring out the napalm again next summer Mm -mm. and hit these things where it hurts. But not everyone has appreciated my take. I can tell you don't appreciate my take. And I'm not even totally 100% serious. I'm just sick of getting... There's mosquitoes in our house. There's mosquitoes in our studio. There's mosquitoes everywhere. But I wanted to say this real quick. A whole bunch of people have said, like, have you actually done any reading on why this is happening? Have you actually paid attention to what's happening with insects and insect populations and Mm -hmm. pollinators in particular, right? The the insects that that play such a huge role in in food mm-hmm. and in and in sustainability from an environmental perspective and and the honest answer is no the numbers are crazy i think it's like 40% of insects globally are in decline and a third of them are endangered so i wanted to a third of all insects in the world are endangered yeah but for a lot of that's we don't crazy. give a shit about a lot of those but like if you tell me that a third of mosquitoes these, these are endangered that's things, great i know but these little things they are the inner workings of they the ecosystem that you don't see like mosquitoes for example they don't even First of all, a mosquito that bites, that's a mom because they're only the, the males don't bite. They bite when they've laid eggs or when they're mating, the mating season. I feel like you're making this up. I'm not at all. You can Google it. And uh, also, mosquitoes, they don't go around eating blood. They actually pollinate because they mostly eat flower nectar, but it's accidental pollination as they go from flower to flower. So, And they're also food for, you know, frogs, birds, fish. Uh, insect, other bigger insects. So if they go away more, look, he's putting his feet up. <laughs> no, but it, it'll make a difference. And I am from Ontario where we had growing up rainy springs, rainy summers. And uh, we had just as many mosquitoes as we, as we have now. I think that's why we have so many this year is because Alberta's had some rain. But come on, what's summer without seven mosquito bites on your Left All right, half. well, I guess we don't have to do a segment on it now, now that you've <laughs> solved the world's problems and brought us all up to speed. But what's summer without bug bites? It's, you know, it's like... It's, it's, it's a terrible take. It's like a, it's it's like a, a tag take. of your adventures. I just wanted to bring it up to acknowledge that it is something... No, actually, I had... To, and I should have known because you're actually a thoughtful, contemplative, and informed person. So I should have known that you would have a strong opinion on this. <laughs> I don't have but a strong I, opinion. I just... I looked it up because... I was interested when all this was happening. But I do. I mean, we're we're just taking the piss right now, but I do acknowledge it is a serious. And it's a fascinating story. It's something that's probably been flying under most people's radar. And I appreciate the people that that hold my feet to the fire on social media because I'm just sick of getting mosquito bites. And I'm like, let's spray them again. And a lot of people are going, "Uh, there's more to it than that. 
kind of interesting too because uh, Wyatt and I, my son and I, we're going through this book right now. It's called something like I don't remember the exact. It's like the Complete Dinosaur Encyclopedia or something, and it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's written for kids, obviously, and and it goes through the different the Mesozoic era and all these different eras and things like that. And it talks about insects in there. Did you know that cockroaches, dragonflies, and a few other insects predated dinosaurs? Wow. No, dragonflies I, I know that. predated I knew cockroaches dinosaurs. were like super, super old. Like one of the first they always talk about cockroaches as like the hardest to kill. Like <laughs> when, the, when the world explodes or Nuclear. at least when, when the, yeah. the, world, the planet, planet Earth will... Uh, oh man, do I... Pla- we're getting into it here. Planet Earth will always be fine. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll come and Humans go. Humans on planet Earth will not always be fine. We'll come and go again. Right? Yeah. The planet has always... planet's been here for hundreds of millions of years. Mm-hmm. Or 7,000, depending on your... No, 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 no. But for hundreds of millions of years, planet Earth has been here, and it's been just fine. But human life on planet Earth is trending to be no bueno. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why we need to take stuff like this seriously. So I, I wanted to acknowledge, I wanted to touch on it. It wasn't our lead story, but I thought no. it was interesting, and I wanted to let people know. Sometimes we'll tell you like what's coming up on the show like tomorrow, like I'm going to do in just a moment. And then sometimes we want to let you know, hey, here's what's on like our working list. Here's what's on our long list. Here's some of the stories that we're keeping an eye on. We're working on interviews with the Hockey Canada story. Obviously, right now we're paying a lot of attention to the Pope's visit, but there's a ton of other stuff going on, and that includes that sort of insect extinction type idea. Um, we're able to do this. We're able to, quite frankly, keep our show on the air, as we say, because we have the support of sponsors like Apex Automation. And we've been putting the call out to engineers across the country that may, quite frankly, be looking to make a career change. Maybe you don't feel appreciated where you're at right now. Maybe you're, there's not that career fulfillment. Maybe your your own personal or professional development has kind of hit the skids why not check out apexautomation.ca? You can take a look at some of their projects, the engineering, the fabrication, the automation work that they've been doing. They've got a great presence. They've got a bunch of Vimeo videos. You can check this out. I'm showing you right now the latest in high dust laser technology. I want to do something with laser technology. You're working with lasers? I'm thinking of Austin Power. Or no, not Austin Powers. What's a Dr. Evil? Yeah. Lasers. lasers. Yeah, they do lasers at Apex Automation. You can achieve great things, reach your full potential, and enjoy flexible hours, professional development opportunities, and a really positive corporate culture. You can learn more at apexautomation.ca. Hey, we feed our dogs Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. It's why our 10-year-old boxer Moses is looking as healthy as he is. It's why our 3-year-old Lab Monroe is such a beautiful girl. It's because we tapped into the benefits of going raw. If you want to learn if this is a good fit for your dog, we recommend that you check out granddog.ca. You can learn about the family behind this family-owned business, why they made the switch to eating raw. You can check out the Shop Now link and learn about their beef and chicken, turkey, and alternative protein options. You can check out their blog posts. They have a ton of great information on why your dog may be refusing their food right now. And of course, you can place your order. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first one delivered right to your door in Alberta at granddog.ca. Our hashtag, RealTalkRJ, is powered by the team at Park Power, who wants to remind you scam artists are out there trying to take your hard-earned dough. That's right. If you scroll down to the blog section of their website at parkpower.ca, you can check out their investigation, so to speak, into the 
phishing scams around the government of Alberta's electricity rebate programs. They've also got a great post on natural gas in Alberta. Some of these rates have been up and down. Families worried about affordability, trying to find ways to save money. Park Power wants to keep more money in your pocket. The promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill from parkpower.ca. And our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you today's a perfect day to go check out their Summer Blizzard lineup. They've also got their signature stack burgers, including my personal favorite, the Loaded Steakhouse signature stacker. I love that it's got that onion ring on top of the bacon and the cheese. And then, of course, John's recommendation, the Poolside Punch Twisty Misty Slush. Put a little vodka in there. John... (laughs) John, we can't officially say that. Oh, sorry. But it's not a bad idea. <laughs> you can find him at the Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, Dairy Queens. Ooh. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we're going to take a look at Alberta's so-called war room. The Canadian Energy Centre. Who did they hire for their latest attack on journalists? You won't believe the connection. We're going to check in and talk to a Thai reporter, Jeff Dembicki, who's going to join us from New York. He's the investigative climate reporter that's been covering this. Plus, we're going to talk to my pal Spicer, who was running the mowers at the British Open. What an opportunity. We'll hear it firsthand. See you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is reported in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.